I'm Jen. And I'm Jin. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Dalruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Manafenua of Te Awakairangikitai, where I'm recording today. Hello! Hello! Oh, is it a beautiful day where you are? It's been so nice here today. Uh, I'm clear. Okay. <laughs> I think it's been pretty cold. <laughs> oh, cold's okay. I was hoping you had some sunshine, though. Mm, no, I only just went outside for the first time an hour ago, so. <laughs> but you had a big week. It's okay. Just need yeah. to, like, sometimes hibernate a bit. It's yeah, best. it's nice to stay home, I think. Like, not have to go anywhere. It's nice. Yes. My favorite thing is being where I am in my house. (laughs) In my bedroom in my house. That's, like, my favorite place in the world. Amazing. Preferably in my bed with, like, ten quilts on me and the air conditioner running so it's really cold in the room, but, like, I'm really warm and then, like, maybe some music playing or maybe I'm reading a book with my Kindle under the covers. Like, just, yeah, this is a dream. (laughs) Amazing made myself feel very content just then (laughs) no I love that for you did anything spark joy for you this week I think what sparked joy for me this week is just having a long weekend like knowing all week that I had Friday off and that I had Monday off as well it was just such a joy Mm. to know that that was coming because yeah it's been a bit of a struggle street this week like it's really busy and there's lots Mm. going on at work and there's a lot of frustration and so just knowing that for four days I don't need to care it's delightful Thank you, Easter holiday, for existing, right? And also all the delicious treats, like just all the hot cross buns. Hot cross buns. (laughs) Yep, got eggs for tomorrow, you know, just the dream. Same. I am all about the hot cross buns. I saw them before Christmas this year, and I was like, yes, they're bringing them out even earlier. I am not one of those people who gets mad when you see them, like, right (laughs) after Christmas. I'm like, finally, my time has come. The bread that I like is on sale. I'm not like a massive hot cross bun fan. Like I'll eat them if they're there, but I don't go looking for them. But my housemate is really into them. So they've just been in the house the Mm. whole time. So like she'll toast me one in the morning and I'll make her a coffee and then we have a hot cross bun. It's like been very wholesome. I love this. This is just like also the dream to have someone to have a hot cross bun with and a nice hot cup of coffee. It's perfect. And I had a birthday voucher for Sixes and Sevens, which is the cafe that I really like. So I ordered... Hot cross buns and donuts and went and picked them up yesterday because they were open. So, yeah, we just like had two days of just eating donuts and hot cross buns. And I think the we still best. have some left. Yeah, delightful. Amazing. Hey, what sparked joy for you this week? Exciting. Um, well, I'm officially Australian. Woo! So I have got my citizenship certificate, which is, I will show it to you even. I wonder if it still looks the same. Yeah, you know, that's so funny because my um, my friend Elle said the same thing. She had one too and she wanted to. Oh, yeah. It, still it does still look the same. <laughs> I think yours has got more stuff on it, like behind. I didn't know that they were a thing until I sat down in my chair and got one. So um, it was very exciting. But my family came to cheer me on. So my husband was there and he even wore a tie that I made for him and it matched our outfits because I made a dress for myself and my daughter and I made a shirt for my son and like my husband's tie matched my son's shirt it was really cute and then my sister-in-law and her partner turned up and that was really great and then my brother-in-law couldn't be there but he was there at lunch afterward and he brought me flowers and my mother and father-in-law were there it was just really nice I felt very like loved and beloved and like I loved that all these people turned up to make my day special just to bear witness to this important step for me Amazing. Yeah, it was really good. I don't think I'm going to feel properly Australian until I have an Australian passport, though. I think that's like the thing that I'll be like, right, here's the proof. I'm Aussie. Mm -hmm. Also, I did enroll to vote, so I'm very excited about that. Yeah, good work. (laughs) Good work. Yeah, like that night, I was like, AEC, here I come. So now I can vote. Hooray. Yay. Yeah, so it was good. Good week. Busy week, but good. Nice. I love that for you. I'm glad that you are one of us. And like me, share your love with another country. But that's fine. Yeah. Look, I think having like more than one citizenship is really kind of a 
a cool thing. It's nice to be able to say that I'm from two places. Also just hedging your bets. <laughs> there's always an embassy, right? Like no matter where you go, mm-hmm. there's one or, one or two embassies, you know, one of two. Um, but yeah, it's, I finally get to be like actually Antipodean instead of just living here for like two decades. I'm like properly, truly Australian now, which is really Yay. Cool. Are you excited about our one shot today? I am. So, you know, we're chatting about Legally Blonde, um, which I did not know was based on a book written by Amanda Brown until I was watching the credits to this. And I'm like, oh, based on a book. Fascinating. Mm. Somehow missed that memo. But what a great film. I just like love it. And I was a bit annoyed when I was looking up an actor in it on Mm. IMDb and I saw it only had like a 6 out of 10 on IMDb and I was outraged. People are wrong. People are so wrong about this movie. Um, you know that I'm a huge fan of The Office and mm. like in the early season Jim is dating uh, Amy Adams the purse saleswoman and she says that one of her Desert Island movies is Legally Blonde and like Jim and Pam kind of make fun of this girl for it and I was like Amy Adams the purse saleswoman is correct that is a Desert Island movie that is 100% the kind of movie you want to inspire you to survive in a situation so yeah people are right about this movie it's incredible I look forward to unpacking that with you. So Mm. let's do a quick summary, hey? Okay. So Elle Woods is certain that Warner Huntington III is about to propose until he dumps her in order to get serious for Harvard Law School. Elle decides she will do what it takes to win him back and gets into Harvard Law as well. But then she gets there and Warner is engaged. So Elle, determined to show him just how valuable she can be, gets the ultimate chance to prove herself when she's accepted to work as an intern for a murder trial of a former sorority sister. But throughout the year at Harvard and during the trial, she realizes that Warner is the bonehead and that maybe she's meant to be a lawyer after all. Yay! So, great cast as well in this. We've got Reese Witherspoon, who we love. Luke Wilson, Mm. Jennifer Coolidge, of course. She's having a moment. Selma Blair. so good. Holland Taylor. Linda, can never say that. Um, Catalini. (laughs) Victor Garber as well, who's always a guy that I forget exists. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, you. Yeah, Yeah, that guy. Like, he's so good at playing, like, random office man. Or, Mm. like, he is the ultimate, like, he can be a dirtbag. He can be a jerk. He can be a frustrated genius. But he's not, like, a big star. And uh, Raquel Welsh, who always reminds me of Seinfeld. (laughs) (laughs) It all comes back to Seinfeld. There's a big renaissance for all things Seinfeld on Tumblr at the moment. It's really delightful to see people, like, writing out little scripts of what would happen if, like, Jerry and Elaine and George were having and Kramer were having conversations today. It's one of my favorite things. I adore Seinfeld so well, so much. Like honestly, and I think it's held up quite well. Like because they were always terrible people, so therefore you cannot yeah judge them. <laughs> There's no moral. You never yeah. learn your lesson. Um. So let's return to this whole hatred of legally, or not hatred necessarily, but people making fun of this film, as you just mm. said in the office, right? Don't you think that comes from a same place of people making fun of Elle? in this film and it's like you have completely missed the point of the story yes yes i agree i think it's really easy to dismiss anything that treats especially in the early 2000s late 90s early 2000s anything that treated femininity like pink fluffy frilly femininity as like something that was okay was immediately like dumped on as being not true or serious Mm. um and that, like, this movie makes no apologies for it. Like, she doesn't change to become a lawyer. No. She just makes lawyering part of her whole thing. She really just embraces her own self in a lot of ways. I thought that was really lovely that she, even when she's studying, like, even when she's really, mm. like, trying to level up in the law section, you know, she's still living her life the way she would yeah. normally. She's still, like, doing all the things that sparks joy for her, but she's now also just folding law into that. And yeah. I think that's such a great lesson for all of us. Like you don't have to change everything about yourself for your to pursue your ambition. You know, your ambition can be part of your personality. But yeah, um, it really just reminds me. There's a song that I love, and it's called "Admit It" by the band Say Anything. And there's mm. this whole bit about how people who basically just sit around patting themselves on the back for being so different and so so much smarter than other people and so intellectual, you know, and when you walk by a group of quote-unquote normal people, you chuckle to yourself and it's the same superiority complex shared by the very people that you think you're better than, like the high school jocks yeah. who made your life a living hell, right? Like you think you're so much better. And I think that's yeah. such an insecurity thing because you feel like you can't compete on that level. Like all these people are being so mean and so rude to her. Because they're the nerds yeah. 
who think that they cannot compete on the Malibu Barbie level. So they just right. automatically dismiss it and then it devalues it. So it doesn't matter that they can't compete because they don't want it anyway, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I think there's something really telling about the way that when she introduces herself in their little circle at Harvard, like it's, you know, they're talking about all these things that have done that sound really impressive. And she's like, well, these are the social events that I did. And this is how I like built community like she's immediately presenting herself as like somebody who cares about doing things in a group with other people not like my fourth grade paper was ripped off by Stephen Hawking which is what that blonde guy with the beanie says which is hilarious and the other thing that people really miss about this movie is that it's supposed to be a satire of like the east coast elite it's meant to send Mm. that up and it's meant to like make it okay for people to like getting manicures and still be good at being lawyers. Like it's, it's not like this is who you want to be. It's like, this is a, a thing that we're yeah. reacting against because there's no right or wrong way to be a good lawyer. Cause it's a real double standard within the patriarchy, right? Like you can't, if you want to be taken seriously as a, a professional woman, you can't be too girly. Mm. You can't be too blonde. You can't be all these things. And this is actually yeah. really a progressive film in that way that it approaches that feminist sort of leaning to be like actually there's nothing wrong with that feminism is making choices for you that is right for you and you don't need to do it you don't need to act like a man to make it you don't need to act all drab and horrible you know like you can just be yourself yeah and you don't have Mm. to perform femininity in like the jackie kennedy way which is the thing that warner says to her right like that's the first that's what he says when he breaks up with her he's like well i need a jackie not a Marilyn." and like like as if he's jfk that's like come on he puts these two types of women as if they're diametrically opposed as if they're opposites as if they have to like fight and win something and he's the something and at the end that like that isn't even a warner isn't even a question he's not he's like a footnote for both of them i also love that because it is always a fight right and then this we get the real like a subversion of that expectation that the two women are going to fight over the man. Like there's a little bit mm. of it because there's also Vivian's insecurity, right? She needs to unpack oh, that kind of, you know, learned mis- internal misogyny that she has towards Elle. Yes. Like she really needs to work on that. And then at the end of the day, it's cooperation. It's the women working together and it's not about yeah. the men being a prize at the end. Oh, the men are like, with the exception of Emmett, who's like the ultimate ally, right? He just shows up and is helpful. Mm. Emmett and David Kidney are like super helpful. They just turn up and they do things to support the people who need it. We love that. We're here for that. But like Callahan's got his own agenda. He doesn't care. He just cares about winning. Um, Warner is extremely selfish and just wants to like win at things. It's all about getting the getting the band together and doing what needs to be done in order to exonerate their friend and bring justice Mm. to this person who was killed, you know? It's not actually about, like, getting the guy. It sets itself up. This movie is great because it's a Trojan horse. It sets itself up as being this rom-com, right? We're going to see her go to Harvard and maybe get Warner back. And then halfway through it pivots and it's like, Warner Homest, we are going to be excellent at lawyering. And we are going to do it in heels and in bright pink and with lipstick and amazing blonde hair. I really love it. I think, I just think it's like a real encapsulation of like Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's whole we should all be feminist treatsy, right? Like she talks about, yeah. I'll just read the whole thing. She says, you know, we teach girls to shrink themselves, to make themselves girler, smaller. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise you threaten the man. Because I am female, I'm expected to aspire to marriage. I'm expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. Now, marriage can be a source of joy and love and mutual support, but why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Like, Mm. that is the whole premise of this thing. It's like everyone, you know, she's going to get married. That is the whole joy. Like, that's the goal. And like, that is an ambition in and of itself. Which is neither good nor bad, right? Like, it is what you make of it. But if it's the only thing that you think you can aspire to be. And I just, yeah, I love that pivot that actually at the end she goes, no, I I want other things for myself. And she gets them. After she realizes that Warner will never see her as anything other than, like, the Playboy bunny girl. While she's wearing the Playboy bunny outfit, she drops him. Warner's not even, like, on her radar anymore. Yeah, and she says, you know, I'll show you how valuable Elwoods can be. 
Yeah, I love that. I mean, we have to give her, like, the, the thing that I think a lot of people don't get, especially if they just watch this movie once instead of, like, every year, like I do, um, is that Elle is really smart. She's really mm. smart. She's really good at what she does. Like, she has a 4.0 in fashion merchandising, which, yeah, it's fashion merchandising. But, you know, and immediately we see that she very gently puts a saleswoman trying to take advantage of her back in their place. Like, nope, you can't put use, you can't use half loops top stitching on low viscosity rayon it would snag the fabric and you didn't just get it in i saw it in the june vogue a year ago like she is able to use this fantastic memory and knowledge that she has to like not be taken advantage of and this is her world this is her sphere but it's not treated as valuable by like the culture at large that's exactly it it's like she has all this knowledge but people don't view the knowledge that she has the smarts that she has as valuable Mm. but in the end that is what saves the day it's this knowledge that no one else values that allows her to be good at what she does because she's got a new perspective which is something you know at my work we always talk about bringing fresh perspectives and don't always just have the same people in the room because then you just get the same results you need other people to challenge your thinking And having people who are from different areas of, like, life and business and backgrounds is actually how you solve problems better because you have more people with different perspectives to draw from. You have a bigger pool of people who solve problems in different ways. Uh, I just, I love it when they're, like, a group of ten white men and they're like, well, we've tried everything. I'm like, well, have you, though? Because, like, you all, like, you're all named Bob. So, like, have you. And I love that Mm. Brooke also is just, like, you know, so delighted that Elle is there. Like, it gives her real faith in the whole thing. But, yeah, you're right. We see a lot of moments of Warner just being a trash person. Like, when she's talking about the alibi, you know, Warner and Media's like, who cares about Brooke? Just think about yourself. But also when he has that moment in the, the classroom... When he's talking about the defense and the stalking case, you can just really tell that he is a horrible person. Yeah, he's a garbage, he's a garbage boy. Although I do (laughs) love Callahan just being like, do you think she just woke up one day and thought, I'll go to law school today? (laughs) And then Emmett says that lapse in judgment aside, like Emmett's, Emmett's like, she could be so much more than just a lawyer, which I love. I love that he's encouraging her, but he's also like, but seriously, look at us. We're terrible. I love also that he tells her, you know, you can use your blonde power for good, you know, like Mm. you can use it to empower yourself. And she does. She uses it to like give David a helping hand and like hitting on girls. That is one of my favorite things because I like, I don't know about you, but I feel like David is very neurodivergent coded. Yeah. And he's just really awkward around Mm. people. And he's like, he knows what he has to do in order to get into Harvard Law. And he knows that he wants to be a lawyer, but he's just kind of bad at peopling. And so she just like smooths it over. And this is a very, okay, this is a very generous read on this because this is a product of of its time. Like it's all about how like good he was in bed. And that is not going to bear out when he actually like gets with this girl that he's been trying to get her number, right? Obviously he's very awkward. But it still gives him an in where he didn't have one. So I love that that is a generous thing that, you know, Ellen does for him. And it also just plays back into this whole thing about this film where it's like, don't judge people. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge someone just by what your first impression of them is, Mm. right? Because everyone undersells Elle. Everyone thinks that she's like not worth her time. She's got nothing to offer. She's dumb. She's blonde. She's all these things. And these girls are just dismissing David. They don't know him. They're just making an assumption because he's awkward. He's a nerd, yeah. whatever, whatever. They're like, oh, he's not worth my time. Just giving him the opportunity to actually have a conversation and get to know him, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's right yeah. that they don't owe him their time, but also they were very mean to him and they didn't need to be mean. Everyone there is very mean. <laughs> oh my gosh. Why. It's I, like, I want to talk about how this is a commentary on like Southern California friendliness versus East Coast chilliness because people on the East Coast of the US, like they are not wasting your time. They feel like small talk is a waste of time, so nobody does small talk. But on the West Coast, we all want to have a chat. And I think that's just because, like, we want to, like, connect and it's a little more superficial. And I've often seen it described as, like, a a person in California might drive past and be like, oh, no, you have a flat. That's so sad. But they keep driving. Whereas in the East Coast, they might get out and be like, what are you doing? You're an idiot. How could you get a flat tire here and then change your tire for you? Hmm. So, like, there's, I think people are still fundamentally kind is what I'm saying. But on the East Coast, you can't get there by being, like, cheerful, friendly, lovely, open you kind of have to just like muscle your way to the front of the the line and like make yourself known and make yourself useful but also like show up whereas in california it's more about the social niceties and it's more about the like shows of support and the shows of kindness 
that you do verbally. So it's really interesting commentary there. I'm from the West Coast, so I love a chat. So I find people mm-hmm. who are um, a little more brusque. I'm like, why, why were they so cold and chilly? I don't understand. I thought we were getting along just fine. Like, I really have to remind myself, okay, yeah, they're from Massachusetts. They've got a different perspective. <laughs> we're not friends yet. When we're friends, we'll talk, you know? Yeah, that is interesting. It's just a cultural difference. Hmm. This is a bit of a tangent, but the episode of General Hospital where she throws her chocolates <laughs> at the screen, I need to talk about this because I had the chicken pox when I was 12, and so I got really into General Hospital, and my mom used to tape them, and then we would watch them all at the end of the week so we could uh, fast forward. Like, we yep. would binge them. This was before DVRs. This was like we had a video like a VCR and we would tape them. And so I was watching this with my mom. Like every Friday night we would get McDonald's and we would watch General Hospital together. It was a thing we did. And so I was really invested in this Lucky and Elizabeth storyline. And I saw that episode when it aired and it just makes my heart so happy that Kimberly McCullough, who plays Amy and is like knocking on Elle's door as she's watching that episode, was also in General Hospital. She went on So I just thought that that would be, I thought that was really cute that they kind of put this nod into like General Hospital. <laughs> They put it in and they had someone who actually worked on General Hospital at that time. So it was really great. Meanwhile, I was like, is that Chris Hemsworth? That dude sort of looks like Chris Hemsworth. (laughs) He was the reason I stopped watching because I did not like him as Lucky. They got the original Lucky back afterward, but I had already kind of like moved on from it. And the storylines go too quick on soaps. You can't keep up. So Mm. Um, he was not a great fit for Lucky. Like, I'm I'm sure the actor is fine, but Lucky was like kind of the dark horse. And then they replaced him with like this knockoff Hemsworth. And I was like, well, this isn't working for me. (laughs) So yeah, anyway, total sidebar. But I just love that. I do love that sidebar as well, because you have that girl knocking on her door you know, asking for help with the lip liner. And I just love how all the girls just help each other out. But also when Elle decides to do the LSATs, they're all in, they're all supporting her. Like they think maybe she's making a mistake and they're a bit confused, but they support her 100%. I love that. It's so wonderful. Like girls supporting girls. Yeah. Like, I mean, when they're all lined up, like wishing her well and her engagement, to be that you know they hope she's going to get engaged like they're very excited and they're very supportive there but when she gets her LSATs results they're like freaking out they're so excited and that's so beautiful that they were able to just go yeah okay like whatever it is we love and support you and you know she like aced her LSATs and it's like yeah she does have all this knowledge and she's smart in a way that maybe people don't value but at the end of the day she's still got on the standardized test that people have value you know knowledge value that people observe across generations across whatever she still got great results so yeah the the best score you can get is 180 and she got 179 yeah so like mad props to to l and everybody i know who's taken or like studied for the lsat says it's just full of really not related to law questions that are just about like reasoning (laughs) so you have to sort of be across a lot of it and it is not easy to do that well on that test so like well done love it i just feel so proud of her should we talk about the themes that we that we read through? Yeah, so I sort of touched on mine already because my theme was ambition, which yes. I love. And um, yeah, and lots of interesting takes on ambition in this, I thought. So yeah. like if we think of ambition just as a strong desire to achieve something, right? I think straight out of the mm-hmm. gate, joining a sorority, that's about ambition. A lot of people will go yeah. into a sorority trying to achieve something, right? Like... Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a mythical concept to me, and I sometimes struggle to believe that it's a real thing, but I am told it's a real thing. <laughs> and it I is think, a real thing. Yeah, even the goal of like wanting to get engaged, wanting to get married, that is an ambition of some kind as well. I think it's viewed as a lack of ambition by people because, again, it's not valued and it's like considered mm. not feminist. But for a lot of girls, that would be something that they really desperately want to achieve. Yeah, that was what my mom wanted to do with her life. She really wanted to be a mom and a wife. Like, that was her whole thing. Yeah. She always knew from the time she was little. She was like, I want to be married and I want to have lots of kids. Yeah. I just think that men's ambition and their expressions of ambition is what's considered the only valuable kind. That's the only real kind of ambition is this kind of like corporate climbing. I'm a, you know, money making leadership type kind of cold hearted workaholic. And that sort of ambition is the, yeah, the only ambition that's really valued. And I think... 
it's just nonsense in a lot of ways. And I love that about, you know, Jacinda Ardern did her valedictory speech this week and she talked about how you can be anxious, you can be a crier, you can be a hugger and you can still be here, you can lead like me. And I just think that it's so lovely that she's done this thing where she's shown a different kind of leadership. That is, you can be kind, but you can still be steely. You can still get stuff done. Because for so long, we thought that to be ambitious, to be a leader... You had to do the male version to get ahead. You know, you had to wear the yeah. pantsuits. You had to be cold and calculated and not show your emotions. And to see that yeah. we're moving away from that is so lovely. And that's what I love about this film as well. Like, Elle is ambitious. When she decides that she's going to go all in on this law thing, she makes it happen. And yeah. she stays true to herself. Like, she shows a different kind of ambition. And that is so delightful. I love it. I like that too. And I like that she's able to leverage expectations to get what she wants. I feel like that's somebody who's very good at being ambitious. Like they're also very successful. Like she does send in a video essay and (laughs) it's such a funny scene because she has all of these other credentials. Like she has an amazing LSAT score. She has a 4.0. She's from, I mean, CULA is basically meant to be like USC or UCLA, right? So it's meant to be like a quite nice school. And yet she sends in this essay and they're all look, these guys all look dumbstruck. And it's kind of put up as a joke, like, well, you you know, we've we've got to get new people and we've never had a fashion merchandising major in before. Like, Mm. they set it up as a bit of a joke, but it, the joke doesn't actually land on her. It lands on them for not being able to see past her appearance, right? Yeah. But she is actually, like, really taking advantage of the aesthetic appeal of herself in order to get ahead. Like, I don't think she's doing it particularly unsubtly but it's happening I don't know there's something really cool about the way that she's just like no I'm going all in yeah and I love that kind of different interpretation of success and ambition as well like her views Mm. of what makes her a success are different to what Harvard views people as being successful but also what her parents view as like ambition right her mum being like you were a runner-up you're gonna throw that all away (laughs) it's such a subversion of what you expect a parent to say yeah um and her dad being like that's not you button I also just love Love when she says to the guidance counselor or whatever she is, like, I don't need backups. I'm going to Harvard. Like, yeah. I love that ambition can change too. Like, she, initially, it's an ambition to get Warner back, but then it's just mm-hmm. this becomes a real ambition, like a straight up, I'm actually just going to be really good at this because I know I can. Mm. I also think there's something about ambition and competition. Like, Vivian immediately having a crack at Al, like seeing her as a threat, setting her up with the costume body. It's like, Vivian's ambition to make her feel small because that's how she climbs. Like she can't have Elle yeah. get ahead. That is a threat to Vivian's ambition. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's important that we see Elle as a kind and generous person from the beginning. Like she loves her dumb friends. They're dumb and she loves them. Yeah. And she's right there with them and she supports them and she misses them because they're good. Like they are all in this sorority together. They're chatting. They're like, doing their nails together they're pulling themselves out of sad bits like this is her friendship and then she moves somewhere where everybody is so mean to her and the nastiness is like overt and unparalleled like she's never experienced the sort of like horribleness before because all of the women in her life are like for the most part really supportive and loving yeah and it's just such a confronting thing it is it really is because she has principles like Elle is very clear Mm. on her and principles what matters to her and I love that you know she won't sacrifice that for her ambition like that's what Mm -hmm. ultimately Mm -hmm. pushes her like why she wants to leave at the end because she feels like she has to give up on what she believes she actually wants to have this career and she's not willing to do that it's such a great message and then you know what's her face the other professor is like "Mm, no don't have to do that professor stromwell yeah holland taylor lesbian icon we love holland taylor she's great (laughs) and then she turns down warno tries to have like come back to her and she's like if i'm gonna be a partner in a law firm by the time i'm 30 like she's really leaned into her ambition and i'm just so proud of her like it's so cool she's doing something just for her it's amazing yeah amazing and she's doing something that like i also love that it's not like, oh, no, I went to Harvard to follow this guy and it didn't work out. So I'm going to do something completely different. She's like, no, I'm going to turn this into my own thing. Yeah, because like, I know. I'm taking this on for me. Yeah. And she's like, I know I can do it. No one else thinks I do- can do it. But you know what? What? Like, it's hard. No, she's going to yeah. commit. Commit to the bit. And I love committing to the bit. <laughs> yes. So good. What was your so theme good. that you looked at? Oh, well, I watched this movie and I was thinking about confidence the whole time. Mm. And... I mean, there are a couple ways to 
tease out like what I want to do with confidence. But I, instead of being like confiding in, which is sort of the underdog theme, in my opinion, I went with the confidence in oneself. Like I know that I can do it, like stick to itiveness mm-hmm. and capability. So that's sort of where I went with. And I think I'm going to start with this quote from Professor Stromwell, who we just discussed, the excellent Holland Taylor. The law leaves much room for mm. interpretation, but very little for self-doubt. And that really stood out to me this time because we're watching Elle have a lot of self-doubt, but she mm. actually doesn't ever lose her confidence in herself. Like, she is not sure that she can do this because she's not in it to do it to begin with. She's there because she wants to have an opportunity to get Warner back. But then she kind of clues into the fact that like, hey, I actually did really well in my LSATs. And like, if I know what I'm meant to do, I can do it. So I should do it because I can. Like she goes through this thing where it's just like in a second, but she really realizes that she is she is going to do it. Like she's mm. very confident about what she can do. As soon as she decides to, it's on like Donkey Kong, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, but even even before she decides to be a lawyer, like as you were saying, when she's talking to her advisor and she says, oh, I don't need a backup. I'm going to Harvard. Like she doesn't even consider any other postgrad options because why would she? She was going to be married. Now she's just going to Harvard. Mm. Like it's not something she has to think about because she's just like, sure, it will happen. And I did wonder if maybe this was like something about growing up really privileged or really blessed. But I think she just actually has a good support system and is very capable of doing the work, which you see when she talks about how well she's done in her classes. Like, she has a 4.0. Like, no matter what your major is, as much as she parties and as busy as she is with her social engagements, the fact that she has a 4.0 means she's actually really good at, like, studying and getting work done. Yeah. She knows what she's capable of. And I think that something else that's a real, a really important marker of someone with a lot of confidence is that she knows when to pivot. So she knows that she's not going to be serious enough or, like, enough for Warner. And so she pivots. She's like, fine, I'm going to do this thing for me. And then, you know, she takes the initiative to go and see Brooke at the jail and get her alibi, but then she won't give it up to Callahan, even though it would make her, in some ways, it would make her job a lot easier. Like, she just pivots and holds up fast to who she is, but she's still acting like, well, then we're going to be good lawyers. We're going to be better lawyers because we're going to do it without the alibi. Yeah. She's very confident, and I love that. And I think another really underrated thing about her confidence is that it infects other people. So Paulette is the biggest example where Paulette Mm. is kind of like dealing with this emotionally abusive ex and, you know, not really confident about how to get her dog back. But Elle's there backing her up. And so she's like, I'm taking the dog. And then, you know, she's able to sort of then like actually chat up the UPS guy. Well, she breaks his nose, but like he was already (laughs) interested in her. So I think it was okay. And then there's the way that as soon as she turns up in Brooke's legal team, Brooke is like, oh, thank God, there's someone with a brain on this team. (laughs) Like, that is not what you would expect people to say about Elle because she's so pretty and cheerful. But Brooke immediately is like, oh, I have so much more confidence in this team now because he's got someone that I can trust, which is fantastic. Someone who speaks my language, right? Yeah, yeah, that relatability. So again, with like the positive aspects of having people from all walks of life do all of the jobs because you get better results like you just get better results having more people doing different things life is so much better when you have not the same experiences repeated on mass i think yeah i think it's interesting that you mentioned the whole privilege thing because you're right it could be read as privilege the fact that she just goes oh i'm going to harvard because like yeah her life has been easy and she's always sort of gotten what she wanted just through sheer force of personality like share and clueless right like she just gets what she needs but then we see again a subversion of that because Vivian tells her later that Warner was waitlisted and his dad had to make a call. So his dad had to call yeah. in some favors to get Warner into Harvard. And That's um, privilege. that is privilege. Like Elle did it on her own at the end of the day. She didn't, no one made a call for her. Like she's got other benefits in her life, sure. Like she's not working or anything. Fair enough. Her life. Yeah, is... she's got plenty of money and she's yeah. able to cover food and transport and stuff. Yeah, but she didn't need someone else to get her in. Whereas Warner has all this unearned confidence just because of he's a legacy, right? Like, this yeah. is my life. This is what I'm entitled to. It's like the confidence of a mediocre white man. That's just like what water is. <laughs> and then he graduates with no girlfriend and no job opportunities. Mm, no honors, no girlfriend, no job opportunities. Because he is mediocre. And we see that. Like we see that he's not just given everything. And it's very rare that you get a movie that's so like, yeah, the white dude doesn't end up on top in the end. He's just bleh. No one cares about him. He's a footnote. Yeah, he is. He's absolutely a footnote, and I love that. Yeah, me too. Vote for Elle. <laughs> it's so funny when her friends turn up in the courtroom. It's like, so oblivious. They're the literal embodiment of the... They're a little confused, but they got the spirit meme. Oh I love goodness. that they show up for her, though. That is, like, 
peak bestie behavior. Like, I'm turning up to your thing. Do you need me there? No, but I'll be there anyway. Do I know what it is? No, but I'm no. there. <laughs> so cute. So cute. Aww. I think her confidence is really the key to her success. Like, she's going to keep trying because she has a good track record of succeeding. And I think that's one of those things that, like, the more you succeed, the better you are at succeeding. Yeah. So she's already, like like we have said about the privilege that she does have, she's off to a good start. But it's also not that she's not worked for it. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to turn this into an In Defense of White Women podcast. But, like, this is a great story just on its own because it's not about a girl who finds who gets the guy in the end it's about somebody who's culturally at odds with an organization or a a system that they didn't realize they really wanted to be part of and then they find a way to make themselves to make it work for them without having to sacrifice who they are which is just incredible yeah I, i saw this movie and i've always loved this movie it's always been one of my like top 10 movies probably and it's so quotable but it makes me wish that i had like seen it probably about four years before I did Mm. when I was a really young teen when I was really a lot more impressionable and just taking it to heart that like I could be pretty and cute and nice and that I didn't have to be a Vivian because I was 100% a Vivian Mm. and I wish I had been an L and I just think everybody could really benefit from the outlook that she has which is like taking taking the people's kindness and taking sorority itself not a sorority but sorority itself for granted I think there's something really beautiful about that kind of confidence that, like, yeah, of course you're going to help out other women. And, of course, other women are going to help you out. Yeah. It's kind of great. Because we have to remember, other women are not the enemy. Mm, We have mm -hmm. a very clear enemy. And I think sometimes we forget and we start fighting amongst ourselves about nonsense. And that's what they want. That's what the enemy wants. Let's not And the enemy is not men. The enemy is the patriarchy. Like, we're we're not bagging out dudes. We're bagging out the patriarchy, which hurts dudes also. (laughs) It's a terrible, terrible system that benefits from us fighting amongst each other. So let's stop that and take down the patriarchy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think in this reading, just as a divergent point, but I think Enid Wexler's character is really one that I struggled with a lot this time because I, like, want to like her, but she's really mean. Mm. I'm like, that's anti-feminist of you to just judge her and not, like, try to get to know her. And Elle calls her out on it and she's like, if you had rushed, I would have been nice to you. Yeah. I would not be treating you this way if you had come into my world. Yeah. And I think that's really important that she says that. I think it just comes from a place of previous hurt. Like, you know how she says, well, not to my face, right? So it speaks to a a, a wound that is, exists yeah. because of, you know, we can't ignore the fact that girls like Elle do bully girls who are not like Elle. And that does happen yeah. in schools, right? Like that is also a reality, but it's not just that. And you can't just assume that just because someone looks a certain way that they're going to behave a certain way. But Yeah, there, there are girls who look like Elle and bully girls who aren't like Elle. And then there are girls who just live in their own Elle world and don't really see other people who aren't in their immediate sphere. Like, they're not unkind to them, but they just aren't inclusive naturally. Mm. And I think that's the category that Elle falls into. Like, she's friendly to everyone, even when they're being rude to her face. Like, she's friendly and kind, and she lets comments pass that I would have bristled at. But I don't think she's, like, naturally going out of her way to include people who aren't in her sphere. And that, I think, is felt by people like Enid and Vivian as being this sort of, like, dismissiveness, when actually it's just, she's, she knows who she is. Like, she knows who she is, and she has her friends, and that's not to say she wouldn't be amenable to making more, but if you got to know her, if you were, like, friendly to her, she wouldn't be rude to you. But there's this idea that she would, because she's not, like, maybe in your sphere enough. I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining it well. I think that she's not a bully, but she just kind of presents a different life. It's what they call being clicky, right? Like she is going to be in her clique and that's going to be a thing. I actually personally really dislike the phrasing of clicky because I don't think it's being in a clique. I think it's being having friends and you're not always going to be friends with everyone. And I don't understand why we put this term on friendship groups as being clicky. Like just because they're close knit, you know, look at at the gangsy, right? They'd be described as clicky. Oh, absolutely, because they don't let people in. Like, there's an inner sanctum in that friend group, and it is a lot of weird dynamics going on. But, yeah, Elle would be friends with everyone. Like, look at Paulette that she... Paulette is her best friend in Boston, and she's a high school dropout who got kicked out of a trailer and has terminal anxiety. Like, this is not someone that you would see 
Elle being best friends with. But that is Elle's best friend and she really loves Paulette. And she doesn't judge her she, right from the no. start, right? Like Elle never makes assumptions or judgments about other people, which is all everyone does to her. And everyone assumes yes. that she's doing that to other people, but she never is. And I think that's the really telling yeah. thing. Yeah, she's open to the friendships, but she doesn't seem like she is because she's very, like, I don't know. I don't want to say in her lane, but she's, like, focused. I just think people have, she doesn't seem like she is because people have decided that she's not. Like, people have decided that that's yeah. the kind of personality she is. They've decided what kind of person she is based on how she dresses and how she behaves and being like, oh, well, I've got nothing in common with her and she must be evil, basically, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then they humiliate her at that party, which is so mean and so uncalled for. And she laughs it off. Like, that is so, that was one of the big confidence things. I think I would have died if somebody had done that to me. But she just goes, oh, 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 I see. And, like, that's when she kind of snaps back a little bit. Mm. But it's not, it's not uncalled for. At that point, Vivian has actually been genuinely so awful to her that she's able to, like, make a comment. And then when she does make that comment, Vivian's like, oh, my gosh, she's so awful, you know, like so oblivious to the fact that you have been horrible to her the whole time you've set her up for this and then because she she's now being mean to you quote unquote mean Mm. to you she's falling into the the stereotype that you've created for her yeah i think vivian is so quick to believe the worst in l because it really reinforces what she already believes right like that's the whole job about like unpicking your biases unpicking your internalized misogyny it's like an ongoing piece of work it's not just a one and Mm. done and it's so nice to know that they become such good friends. Yeah, and Vivian still has a wobble later when she sort of is like, "Oh right, everything I did believe about her is true." Yeah, like yeah, yeah. of course it's too good. It's too good to be true that she would actually be this nice person. So she feels like she's she's seen enough of this interaction between Elle and Callahan, where Callahan was a total scumbag, to assume that Elle is like getting benefits through sexual favors, which is not the case at all. And she says something really awful to Elle, and that's that's the point when Elle has her crisis of confidence. It's like I don't think it's because Callahan hits on her; like she's upset about that, but she isn't gonna quit until Vivian's like, "Oh, this is the kind of person you are. I see it now." And that's when she's like, "Right, I can't do this anymore. People yeah. just will not. Like, I don't think I can make this happen with who I am." And she says to Paulette, you know, like when she's explaining why she's leaving, and she says, "For the first time, someone expected me to do more with my life," and it really hurts her yeah. that she people just seem to revert to type. She, she just feels like she has to retreat because she's never going to make any headway against all of this, like, enormous typecasting, I guess. Mm. Um, Emmett actually entreats her to stay. And I think it's really great that, he, like, he says this really great thing, like, you know, what, maybe you're trying to be someone that you actually are. And she's like, mm, yes, yeah. So she leaves. And it's not until she gets to the salon and Holland Taylor is there and she kind of gives her this pep talk. Like, if you're going to let one stupid jerk ruin your life, you're not the girl I thought you are. And then Brooks like what did Callahan do? How do we get Elle back? I need Elle back. And like between these women who love her and I think also like we have the off-screen implied Vivian apologizing because she figures out that like what she saw was not what she was not what happened. Mm. This is how Elle is able to sort of come back and like reign supreme because she has this this sisterhood, this friend, like this friendship group that she's really fought for. Yeah. And they love her and so they, they like bolster her and I just, I can't get over it. It's so good. It is good. So yeah, I feel like like I love her confidence and I, I just want to have as much confidence as Elle Woods does in everything. And as much optimism and as much like passion. What <laughs> like, would Elle so Woods nice. do? <laughs> yes, gosh. Like, I mean, she's generous even in her limited viewpoints. Like she, when you know, when, when Paulette's like, what does this girl have that you don't? And she's like, well, she's not entirely unfortunate looking. <laughs> she's, she's still adjusting her own like, prejudices but she still is able to like you know she is pretty which is something that matters to her like prettiness matters to her and that's okay you can want to be pretty I love that for people yeah I love being cute I love getting dolled up I love makeup I mean I think anyone should be able to wear makeup that wants to wear makeup because it is fun and I view it as performance but like also I don't have to wear it I'm not in a job where I'm like made to wear it so I get that freedom I think that Elle's performance of femininity is very particular to her and she's chosen the way she wants to look yeah and she takes a lot of pride in it i mean she doesn't expect anyone else to be like that either that's not how she she doesn't perceive value in other people by like they have to express their femininity the mm. same way that i do like she's very that's just who she is and that is ultimately what feminism is about it's about making a choice that is right for you whether it's to wear makeup whether it's to wear 
high heels, where it's whether it's to wear sweater vests, like whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she's she in the big, you know, the big courtroom scene, you get the vibe that she's not actually making fun of Chutney, even though she's like we're expected to sort of find Chutney's perm horrifying because it's like really overdone. Um but she's not even, like, she doesn't even say it. She just says, curls were not a good look for this other girl in her sorority. She didn't have your bone structure. She, like, compliments her on how, like, her perm looks good. Like, she doesn't have to believe it, but she still says the and nice Chinese thing. Chinese mom is I so chuffed with that as well. <laughs> she's like, yes, she'd heard of that from me. It's so good. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I have. Do you have anything else for ambition? I feel like I talked for a thousand years. No, that was all my stuff. Do you have a favorite quote? Yeah, and my favorite quote is definitely what, like, it's hard. Like, I just love it so much. I love because he is, mm-hmm. you know, Warner is having a such shock that she is there. And even though she mm-hmm. says to him later as well, like, am I on glue or did we not get into the same law school, you know? But I, yeah. I use it all the time in my personal life as well. Like, what? Like, it's hard? Because I find a lot of people get really wrapped up in their own achievements and then they start acting mm-hmm. like there's, I don't know, the chosen ones and I'm like just get some perspective because loads of people can do this and I need you to stop acting like you are somehow above and better than everyone else because like what like it's hard which is why I then end up much like Elle doing things out of pure spite just to prove to those people that (laughs) I can also do it and therefore they're not special so you need to stop which is probably unhealthy and I should unpack that in therapy anyway spite is a perfectly valid motivator I I think spite is like the spark plug it ignites the engine but it cannot be what you run on yeah like it can start you off but you then have to provide the fuel and be happy with the the destination on your own apart from that because you're not like it's not going to be enough yeah that's you have to do it to please yourself Hmm. um uh, like when she says what like it's hard that little bit beforehand just as a small tangent that is the dream to walk right past an ex and be like, oh, I got in here too. I forgot you go here. Like, it is <laughs> such wish fulfillment. And I love it. It's so great. So I just, like, that is chef's kiss. Perfect. We all want to do that to our exes. Be successful and brilliant. And like, oh, I forgot about you. Oh, yeah. That's so fun that you go here. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> what was your base quote? Um, Mine is when she's at the party and she's been humiliated and she's dressed in this like ridiculous Playboy bunny outfit and she realizes that like he's like you should just go do something that's more valuable and she goes I'm never going to be good enough for you am I and I think it's my favorite because she like drops him right after that like she's she starts off with spiders her motivator yeah but then she like goes and gets serious about law school like it's no longer I'm here to get my guy it's like well screw you dude I can do this if you can do this I can do this like we took the same LSATs I'm in the same law school we're in all the same classes like I'm going to show you what I'm made of and she goes and she gets a different computer to everyone else which I love and she it's not pink but it's orange which is like close enough and you know she's like working out and doing her reading and changing it from commercials to the news to show that she's serious And she's just working really hard. She makes her own study group with a couple of misfits that didn't really have anywhere to be. Like, you see that David Kidney is eating one of her muffins that she brings for sustenance. So they're, like, friends. Like, she goes out of her way to do this thing. But, like, she has to decide to be good enough for herself. And I love that. So the I'm never going to be good enough for you, am I, is perfect. Because you don't need to be with a guy like that. Nobody needs to be with a guy like that. As soon as you feel that way, just get out of town. Yeah. Like, dump him. Dump him. Love it. So, yeah. Agreed. Co-signed. I've got a keychain that says dump him. <laughs> That's great. I love that. Um, who would you like to spotlight for this movie? So I feel like it's a bit weird to pick a guy to spotlight, but I'm actually going to pick Emmett because I just love Aww. how he is just an unproblematic, supportive king. Like he never doubts her. Yeah. Like from the first minute that he meets her, he's just helpful. He's mm. making sure she's okay giving her advice to help her. He takes her seriously, never questions Mm -hmm. why she's like doing what she's doing, never makes assumptions about her abilities, who she's like, like what she's like, who she is as a person. He's just like kind of into it. And he's like vibing. And we, that is what I love. Like he's not standing in her way. He's not propping her up. He's just there as moral support. And it is amazing. It's ideals. That's goals. That's goals. I love Emmett so much, and I feel like probably my husband is a lot like Emmett, like very smart and very successful and like just kind of like 
yeah, of course you can do it. Like, why wouldn't you be able to? There's just no question about it. Like, we love it. Yeah. And so I like I love Eminem as well. I think that's a great person to choose. I feel like it would be weird to pick Elle because we spent the whole time talking about Elle. So I'm going to pick Vivian. Yeah. Because I am a bit of a Vivian. Like I am secretly very judgmental. Like I, I was like born Vivian and I'm trying to become Elle as I grow older. Like the the more further along I get in this human journey of life, I want to be like a better, kinder, more open person. Um, And so for Vivian, like she had to overcome a lot of built in prejudice. Like she has this boyfriend who like was an ex and now is her fiance and like he's really an unsatisfactory person but I feel like they've you know she's sort of like yeah well we're together now like this is the way my life is meant to go and she meets Elle and she's like oh well she's like really pretty and they were date they dated for a really long time so she has to deal with that and then like she gets to realize that her friendship with Elle is way better than some stinky old Huntington and so they're best friends now and I love that I love that she just was like nah I'm not gonna waste my time with this clown when I can be best friends with someone who's genuinely amazing and totally cool so well done Vivian for like figuring yourself out and undoing a lot of those biases I really appreciate that it's just good it's very important and I love that great Yay, Jen, thank you for talking to me about Illegally Blonde. I love this movie so much. It was so fun. It was like a lovely thing to do to kick off my long weekend. So thank you. Just great to like watch a movie that makes you happy and doesn't make you cry. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Or feel feel feeling. Just (laughs) vibes. We've got a few nice comedies. (laughs) Yeah, just vibes. And I think like despite a few things that haven't aged very well, this movie is still pretty great. Yeah, I reckon. I think it holds up. Yeah. Yeah, it does. There's some problematic things in it, but like it was the 90s, right? But it's still, yeah. I think, overarching message, still on point. Still very good, yeah. And you're right, there are some problematic things. I think the thing that I have to take, if we're taking it as a sacred text, like I want to take it in the context as well of when it was written. But mm. like even now looking at it, I'm like, well... It's a bit stereotypy, but it's not unkind, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Like it's to the understanding of the time. Because that, that whole perspective felt very fresh and like energizing and wonderful. I remember being like, oh, wow, this really talks about every kind of person. And it doesn't. But like at the time, it felt like it did. Mm. So it's, it's kind of nice that even though it's not perfect, it still actually is still generous and kind, I think. Yeah. That makes sense. I think that's a fair reading. Well... Yeah. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be back in a Yay. few weeks to start Blue Lily, Lily Blue by Maggie Stiefvater. Mm. So excited. I, I am excited too. We're going to find Maura. She's in, she's underground mm. with Glendower. Maybe, maybe. Who knows? We've never read these books before, obviously. <laughs> uh, and we're going to get some bluesy, finally. Yeah. It's going to be so good. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Mm. Love it. All right. Well, thank you for a lovely yeah. podcasting session, as always. Thank you. <laughs> so glad we got to chat about this movie. All right. Well, I'll see you next time. See you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining Jen D and Jen V for this one shot. Martin Ailey Pod is written, edited, and produced by Jen D and Jen V with additional editing and productions by Simon B. If you enjoy listening, please rate and review the show on your podcasting platform or choice. Feel free to write an email to say hi. The email address is hello at martinalypod.com. The intro and outro music is by Scott Buckley. The full show notes and additional content can be found at www.martinalypod.com.